Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. All right, and here's another episode of Swan Dingo Files. Today's guest is Christy Rimmel, another fellow veteran who's achieved quite a bit in and out of the military. Uh, good morning, Christy. Morning. How are you? Good. Enjoying the weekend, St. Patrick's Day. So I guess it's the green beer day today. So uh, if you want to start off and introduce yourself a little bit, uh, tell us kind of what made you join uh, the military and some of your accomplishments while you're in and what all you did. So what made me join? Okay. Uh, my mother, uh, coming from a Hispanic background and my, you know, I don't know how it is nowadays, but when I was growing up, you finished high school, you found uh, a nice boy to marry, and then you started a family, and that's not what I wanted to do. So my mom gave me some parameters because she said, you know, okay, well, if you don't want to get married and start a family, then you need a full-time job, they need to pay you well, and you need to support yourself because then you're going to be an old maid, right? <laughs> I was 17 years old. So... <laughs> I said, okay, fine, um, I, I can do that. So I started looking around and way back when, uh, minimum wage was $3.25 and that was not gonna get you anywhere, even with a full-time job, right? So uh, I started looking at my options. And at that time, I did wanna go to college, but I knew that we couldn't pay for it. And I didn't quite understand that I could get student loans or that I could apply for Pell Grants. You know, I just thought that it had to all come out of pocket. So then um, with $3.25 an hour, obviously that's not going to happen. And um, then I started looking around. I was already involved in ROTC for four years and I absolutely loved the structure. I, I loved what, what we did. We had an army ROTC in because we had army ROTC. I knew that I did not want to go in the army because I was trying to get out of El Paso. So I was thinking, I'm never going to come back to El Paso. I don't want to be stationed in El Paso. I want nothing to do with El Paso. So I took the army off my list. So I looked at the military, I looked at all the services, and I really liked the Navy. Um, I really fell in love with their uniform. That was really it. Uh, it was it was the uniform that that sold me on the Navy because the pay schedule is the same across, mm -hmm. right? So the MOSs are across the uh, uh, across the board, and so um, I chose the the Navy. I figured that can get me as far away from Apostle as I possibly could. And then it filled out the, they can pay me enough. I can be self-sufficient and I can travel the world. So that's how I ended up in the Navy. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're slinging a lot of mud at the army there. I don't really appreciate that. No, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> so, so you joined the Navy. What was your job? I was a corpsman, so a medic. And my very first duty station was in Pax River, Maryland, in the maternity ward. Uh, around oh, wow. the time when I got there, I, I loved everything about it. But my dad uh, was diagnosed with terminal uh, cancer. So I asked for a hardship transfer to uh, the West Coast. And the closest that they could get me to where my dad was living was Camp Pendleton, California. And that started my little venture with the Marines. So my recruiter said, you know, we just opened up a billet for women. You have all the qualifications. So um, I was always very good in school. So grades were never a problem. Um, my grades in the military when I was going through basic training and all those things mm -hmm. were very good. My ASVAB scores were very good. My physical requirements were, were very good at that time. So they said, we think that you would do well. And I said, okay, fine. I, I'll take it. I didn't ask that many questions. So I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I just knew that I was going to be um, closer to my dad. I was going to go to Camp Pendleton, California, the beach. So, hey, why not? Right. Uh, Sounds like a fun time. Yes, it, it, it was actually. And so then I ended up being um, stationed, going through school and then stationed uh, Camp Pendleton, California uh, as an FMF corpsman. So that that's how my my little side tour with the Marines started. So uh, what how many years did you do it doing the Navy? Uh, just four. I spent my first uh, year and a half on the blue side, which is the Navy, and then the remainder of my enlistment was with the Marines. So, as a from a female's perspective, how was it navigating the waters in the uh, in a male dominated, well, male dominated world? I mean, was it? Did you feel ever excluded from anything that the males were part of, or did you find it easier or harder? Well, uh, I didn't realize that I was uh, a trailblazer at that point. We were the second cohort to go through FMF training, and there were only three female in a company of 80 people that, that oh, went wow. FMF training. And basically, they told us that they were not going to make any accommodation for us. Um, that we had to pass with the exact, exact requirements as the men. The only exception was the, the pull-ups, right? So we could hang on the pull-up bar instead of doing the, the pull-ups, uh, which I knew I could do. I was like, okay, I can hang. Just maybe I can do one pull-up, but I can definitely hang forever, right? So that was the only accommodation that that we had uh, was just the, the hanging on on there, but all the other physical requirements we did. And the three female that were in that cohort, we survived, we did it all, and we graduated. Um, so I, at that time, I didn't know that I was opening doors for other females to to come after us, right? And so that was the the very beginning. Um, how was it? I I don't know. I guess because I didn't know any better, I, I didn't know that it was like a male dominated kind of society growing up. 
right? Um, I didn't understand what that exactly entailed. Um, so I just did what I had to do without thinking this is very, very male dominant. Does that make sense? No, it does. It, it very much does. And it's it's nice to hear that you didn't think you were, they, you didn't put yourself in a box to where, oh, I'm a female, I can only do this. You just did everything like the men did. So no difference. You weren't treated any different. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Let me ask you something, though, from because, you know, I have my own opinion and I'm sure this varies widely. I, I think a female can pull her weight. I have no problem with her being in combat arms. Um, what do you think about that? I think the more power to you. I think that if a female is able to do it uh, physically and mentally, why not? We're not any different. Right. And we are. Um, part of a, a very small percentage of people that volunteer to go into the military. We are not like other countries where service is mandatory and we don't get drafted. So why not? If, if somebody feels that they can do something and they're good at it, go for it. I agree completely. And it's nice to see that things are kind of changing a little bit. Um, I ain't gonna lie. I was a scout in the army and I had some guys that couldn't pull their weight. So it's like, okay, I don't know why you're here, but so, but things are changing as I was uh, getting medically retired out. Uh, females were starting to come into the combat world and they, they were no different than the guys. They were just as loud mouthed and talked just like us. So it's like, that it might not be so bad. So, yeah. right. exactly. so uh, I mean, we are physically smaller and physically weaker but those females that are that are super strong and if they can do it i say why not i agree completely so uh so you did your four years when at what point did you see your uh what point did you realize hey i'm not gonna re-enlist i'm just gonna do this i'm gonna get out and when did you start looking at the outside world well, originally, I was thinking that I was going to go the 20 years and retire just because I really, really liked it. But then um, after being with the Marines and doing everything that Marines do, my knees really took a beating and I started having a lot of knee pain and a lot of back pain and a lot of shoulder pain. And um, that's really what made me think, I don't think I can do 20 years. <laughs> So I decided at that point to to get out uh, because really I I couldn't do it physically with my knee. My left knee was was the worst one. I ended up having three surgeries um, after I got out of the military wow. just to correct my my knee issue. Right, and even to this day, like I can't run anymore. Can't do. Um, I work out, but it's nothing like explosive, you know, like parkour. I can definitely not do any of that anymore. Can't run. Can't walk um, for long periods of time. Standing for prolonged periods of time really hurts my knee. So um, that was really the deciding factor as to why I was going to get out. Okay. Um, so, did you uh, do any college or? anything like that while you're in? No, not, not while I was in, but when I got out, it was okay. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? 
and I did sign up for the GI Bill. So I took advantage of, of that. Um, I knew that I, to a certain degree, I wanted to continue in the medical field, but then I knew that those were long hours standing, walking around. Uh, patient care was not really going to be there for me physically just because I was having a lot of back pain and a lot of knee pain. So um, I decided the next best thing was art. I've always loved to be creative. I love art. Um, I started drawing at the age of seven. So I decided, okay, what can I do in, in art? And when I spoke to the college counselors, they said that as a graphic designer, I would always have a job and I would do some really cool projects. So I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in graphic design and my master's in fine art. And where did you go to college at? Uh, I started in different places, but I finished my my graphic design degree here in the at the University of Texas Arlington is where I got my bachelor's. Okay, and are, you currently live in Texas, right? Yes, I I live in Dallas. Oh, so you're only a hour and a half away from me. So I, I'm just up here in Wichita Falls. So is any of that artwork behind you? Is that yours or? Yes, it's all mine. <laughs> that looks actually really We're nice. Out of the way, so you can <laughs> I, I I can see it. So it looks really nice. I like it. Thank so, you. so after getting out, you did all the college. Um, what was uh, what was the biggest pro what was the biggest issue you had when you transitioned out with, with uh, going from four years of structure to you're basically on your own now. What was the biggest uh, struggle? I think for me was the loss of purpose. I really did feel um, like I didn't know where I was going to go, how things were going to be. You know, your friends from high school move on. I didn't go back to El Paso. So it was like, where am I going to live? Um, what am I going to do? And really, truly feeling alone like seriously alone, right? And because I was in the Persian Gulf War um, and then we came back being the first war after the Vietnam War um, and not realizing the VA at that point when I was getting out, they weren't really prepared to deal with um, war issues, war related issues. So I call those my silent years because I didn't know what was going on with me. It never dawned on me to go back to the VA and say, hey, I'm having these issues, right? Um, I got married, started having children. And when I would talk to my doctor, they would say, you know, well, you know, you're, you're having anxiety because you're a first time mom, you're overworked, you're now at home, you're not working, you know, maybe get a babysitter and get out and do something, right? Um, when, and so when I was having nightmares um, in the middle of the night, they were just like, well, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom, you have more children, you know? And so it was always, not once did anybody ask me, are you a veteran? Not once did I ever say, I am a veteran and I was in a Persian Gulf War, right? So um, there was like a combination of, of those things. So I just thought that something snapped in my brain 
and now I was broken and defective and I didn't know how to fix it because I didn't provide the right uh, vocabulary to the doctors mm -hmm. and the doctors being civilian never asked me any questions, right? And then on top of that, I never went back to the VA. So then I spent, those are my silent years where I seriously suffered, you know? Well, how, how's your mental health now though? Well, it's great because I ended up getting divorced and when I got divorced, then I really had to face my issues. And I got involved in the veteran community when the suicide rate uh, was starting to become very prolific, right? Um, the, the 24 veterans uh, choosing to end their lives. So I wanted to be part of the solution. What do they need? How can we help? And what can we do as a community? So I got involved with the veteran community. And then I realized this is what I was missing for over 20 years is like family, friends, right? People that understood. So in that journey, I was able to recognize myself and the symptoms that those veterans were having, I was having as well. So then that started the journey for me uh, into the VA. I also got registered and I seeked that mental um, help that is available to all veterans. And in the very beginning, it was a little bit of a struggle because I was Persian Gulf War. Mm -hmm. So all of the um, requirements were for after me. So the post 9-11, right, uh, uh, veterans. So that meant that I always went on a waiting list. Mm, okay. um, I had to be on a waiting list. I wasn't taken as seriously as somebody else, right? Because I was Persian Gulf War. Um, so we are like the forgotten war. Uh, Persian Gulf veterans are really the forgotten word. We we like don't exist. Well, they've, they've changed all that right now. It's all, they, they see everybody uh, equal from that time period now. Yes. So, but we're still the forgotten war. Um, yes, now uh, big, through advocacy uh, from a lot of people in a lot of different <laughs> nonprofits that started providing help to all war veterans, <clears throat> those have gone away. So now the requirement is, is that you served and that you need mental health and uh, it's readily available. Yeah, it's uh, there's definitely a big push for it. I've had my issues. I've I did 14 and a half years, retired out, medically retired. Um, it's, it, I had a lot of dark days that if it wasn't for my wife, I might not even be here right now. Um, I still struggle every day with it. And one thing I'm noticing, especially lately, the veterans are really trying to reach out to other veterans and really working with each other. Um, I still got a long way to go, though. Uh, and it's nice to hear people like you that have been through the system and are helping improving the system now. Um, for the females that are transitioning out, do you have any advice for them? Because coming from, you know, a male-dominated world, coming out and being a female, is there any difference that you saw uh, coming out or was it the same for you that you think? 
I, I honestly think it's the same for everybody, right? So transitioning out is the same for, for everybody. Everybody goes through the same um, things to deal with emotionally. Mm -hmm. So it's the loss of purpose, the loss of tribe, the loss of um, camaraderie that exists in the military, right? So my advice to anybody, not necessarily females, is just that they have to set up that support system when they come out and really come out with a plan. I didn't have a plan. I just knew I was getting out and that was really it. So um, it, it's coming out with, with a plan, right? What are you gonna do and how are you gonna do it? And then where are you gonna live? So I do think that homelessness takes place because veterans come out without a plan. They haven't secured where they're gonna live right? Even if temporary, they haven't done that. They just kind of come out and then all of a sudden they find themselves without a place to live, right? And then yep. that that starts that to, to spiral. The other thing is that uh, mental health, get, get plugged in to, uh, there's so many resources out there. There really is no excuse to take care of your, your mental health. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I learned is that, um, our, our brains are wired so that they can protect us. And it becomes dysfunctional because it's trying to protect us, not because it's trying to harm us. It does end, ends up harming us. Um, mm -hmm. Its true function is to protect us, right? And so if we understand that, then having a plan, you have to have a plan. You just can't um, go through life without a plan. What are you going to do when I have my little dog? You're scared. This is I, I see you. Yep. <laughs> Don't come over here because I'm in a podcast. So um, uh, having, having, let me just put her over. It, it's okay. It's fine. I got two dogs myself that uh, can yeah. be a little bothersome sometime and they get, I got six kids and then the two dogs also, and they're, they're treated just like the kids are. So. Yes. So she's actually really good, very quiet, but my daughter startled her a couple of days ago and now she's terrified of my daughter. Um, she came back from college, so she's only oh. here not from college. Right. So in, this is an SPCA foster that, that we have and kind of startled her and now she's terrified of her. So every time she sees her, she crawls. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i was gonna ask you about that you you do some sort of work with dogs and stuff like that i used to so i oh. used to um train guide dogs for the blind and i did that for for seven years uh oh, wow. it was the most rewarding volunteer work that i've ever done you know uh it, i had a lot of fun uh was able to see the dogs that i raised go on and to be of service to uh people that that needed them how do i gotta ask you though because I'm, I'm a huge dog lover i love all, all animals i mean i'm not against eat, eating animals but i love i love animals all together how did you not get attached to every single one well because you start off with the premise that they're not your dogs you're training mm -hmm. them for somebody else so um, if you remind yourself of that often, it is very easy to let them go because you're just borrowing them. You're not keeping them. They're not your dog. You're doing a service for somebody else. 
Yeah, that's understandable. I don't know if I could do it though. I just, yeah, it's that'd be tough for me, especially with my kids too. That, yeah, they're all dog lovers. So, um, so if anybody wants to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way? Do you have a website or uh, social media handles or anything like that? Yes. Uh, so we, I do two two things, right? So if anybody wants more information on the chamber, so that would be DFW, so Dallas Fort Worth. Um, veteranschamber.org and if somebody wants to reach out to me personally they can go look at um, my website which is blue blu like bluetooth blu dragonfly.net and my email um, directly is info at dfwveteranschamber.org now, are you, do you work for, or are you the head or, or what, what's, what's the DFW Chamber Commerce? So the DFW Veterans Chamber started out of COVID, really two weeks into COVID. And that was because the world closed and then we're mm -hmm. sitting on the couches, right? Everybody's like, what are we going to do now? How are we going to do it? And um, I was already part of a veteran networking group and we were meeting in person prior to COVID. And I had just been asked if I wanted to be the leader of the group. So I said, I had said, yes, we were kind of running it like a little mini business, right? And so then COVID started we all jumped on Zoom and we started talking and the veteran chamber idea uh, arose out of that. And okay. literally two weeks into COVID, we had a chamber. Awesome. And what all uh, do you guys, uh, what all do you guys provide or do? Well, we're different in the chamber sense that we provide resources, networking uh, resources for veteran business owners. So for one of the examples is if that uh, a business needs to raise capital, we have the uh, the course for those veterans to learn how to raise the capital, how to write their business plan, how to do a pitch deck, right? Um, how to form a, a, a business if they're starting to look at businesses. And then we have marketing strategies for those businesses that are already formed. They have everything else, but they're looking at marketing their business. And then also personal development. Personal development is one of the best things that can anybody can do, not necessarily veterans, but anybody. The more you develop yourself personally, the more you're able to withstand anything that comes your way. That is very true. And it's nice to hear that. Um, I, I guess I never realized it. And now you guys just cover DFW area or you cover outlying areas or? No, no. Um, so because I didn't know any better when I started the chamber, <laughs> I called it DFW Veterans. Oh, okay. However, it covers all of Texas and really anywhere in the nation. We do have members from Florida, California, Wisconsin, and even the Philippines. Okay, and how does somebody become a member of this? It's super simple. They just go to the website and click on um, membership information. Okay. Our um, membership fees are very low. So when you go look at a regular chamber, they're probably like in the $800, $900 a year. Sure. Our membership is only $300 a year with a one-time oh, wow. fee or a $40, $40 a month with a one-time $50 fee. That, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. I, I'm glad I actually talked to you because now I know 
what I need to do. So yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, super easy. Uh, we meet on Zoom on Fridays, seven thirty to eight thirty, and then we do have four in-person networking events. Actually, five five in-person networking events, and we're just now getting ready to open up uh, Fort Worth for in-person networking. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swantingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough, but with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking, and keep swanding going.